Hello, friends. Welcome to Read Them and Weep. It me, your host, Sammy. Uh, apologies, we're dropping this episode a day late. I usually try to get them out on Mondays, but this weekend was pretty busy. And then apologies for my voice. Uh, I'm sick for like the third time this year. And if you have kids, like you, you get it. Like these little bastards just go off to school and roll around with a bunch of other little germ buckets and then come home and, and get me sick. It's just so awful. But such is life, such as that hashtag parent life. We got a fun episode coming up. We are, as always, doing two hands, one that I played well, one that I played poorly. And on this week's episode, we're going to be against the same villain in both of the hands. And this villain is probably, in my estimation, the best mid-stakes player in the Bay Area. Uh, admittedly, I don't play a ton down south in San Jose like Matrix or Bay 101, I don't go up to you know Grayton or Stones all that often, but in the Bay Area, as far as I know, and I know the player pool fairly well, I mean, this guy, uh, we'll call him Tommy. It's not his real name, but we'll call him Tommy for this exercise. He's just like the one of the toughest guys I've played against. This guy crushes cash games. He's won a couple of fairly big tournaments. He, in the last year, quit his job to play full-time. He's really passionate about poker. I know he's had a poker coach for years. I wouldn't call him a friend of mine. We don't like hang out or anything, but like we know each other. Uh, we we have respect for each other, have each other's phone numbers, et cetera, text here and there. Stylistically, I think he's a bit, he reminds me a bit of Garrett Adelstein. If you don't know who that is, he's a high stakes cash game crusher. He's on Live at the Bike and Hustler Live all the time. And he really preys on capped ranges, really lays the hammer down when he sees them with like big over bets. And Tommy plays a lot like that. Obviously not quite as good as Garrett because Garrett's just kind of the nuts. He's super good. But that's how stylistically Tommy plays. And he plays looser than I do. And he has really variant bet sizing. He'll do big over bets. He'll do little tiny bets. Um, he's really creative in his bet sizing. I assume he's pretty balanced with his over bets between value and bluffs because he's a very studied player. And when I show up to the card room and I see him at the table, man, I, I I hate it because I know it's bad for my win rate. And I also love it in a way because he's such a tough player and playing against players of that caliber really tests you and makes you focus and you have some really fun battles. So hand one, we're playing two, three, five at the California Grand. Uh, first hand is seven handed. So we're at one of the feeder tables. It's a little short handed. Tommy has been playing pretty fast and loose. And we're about 1K deep. He opens up to 25 in middle position. And I'm on the button with 6-8 of diamonds. I would sooner bathe in glass than fold this hand. And it's really only a matter of if we're going to 3-bet it or call. And I think in a lot of positions, I'd lean toward 3-betting. On the button, though, I'm I'm happy to call. And kind of the new school thinking around this preflop stuff is... You want to do a lot of three betting, three bet with a really linear range from most positions, which is the opposite of what most people do. Um, And and what I mean by a linear range is just three betting kind of the medium strength parts of your range in addition to, to some top end. But, you know, I'm talking about like, say somebody opens from middle position and you're in middle position next to act and you have something like queen 10 of diamonds. That's a hand that you would generally want to three bet or fold. Calling is pretty shitty, and that's what most people do. They'll just call the hand, and what happens is it generally creates a cascade of callers, and you end up going like 
four or five handed to the flop where you don't have position. And then you're kind of forced to make a hand or get out because it's really hard to bluff three or four other people out of a pot. You want to bluff less often in multi-way scenarios just because there's so many other hands out there that can make a good hand. So the two places that you really want to do a lot of calling is on the button and the big blind. The the big blind is pretty self-explanatory. Usually you're getting a pretty good price and you are closing the action. So that incentivizes you to call a lot. And then on the button, you don't need to buy position, right? One of the big aspects of three betting from other places is that you end up buying position. You knock all the players behind you out and then you end up getting to play a pot where you're in an inflated pot, you're in position, you're uncapped, and you have the the initiative in the hand. That's all really good. On the button, though, those things don't necessarily apply because you're going to have ultimate position in the hand anyway. You don't really need to buy it. So you want to open up and do a lot more calling and three bet more with a polarized range. Polarized just being really good hands and then kind of shitty hands. Nothing really in the middle. This hand, while it is fairly shitty, if I were going to three bet, I'd probably want to three bet like direct suited connectors. Again, I have six Ada diamonds, so one gapper. Suited connectors are quite a bit better than suited one gappers. Uh, Just trust me on this. They seem like pretty similar hands, but the direct suited connectors are quite a bit better. They just play a whole lot better post-flop. And so if I had a suited connector, something like 7.6 or 6.5, I would be more prone to three bet just because it's going to play better post-flop. And I'd probably also do some three betting with pretty shitty suited hands like King Deuce, King Three, King Four suited, hands like that. But I'm pretty happy to call with six eight suited. So blah, 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 wrapping it all up. Tommy opens to 25 in middle position. I call on the button with six eight of diamonds and everybody else gets out of the way. So we are going heads up with Tommy. We're in position. There's about 50 bucks in the, in the pot and the flop comes jack 10-4 with two diamonds. We flop a flush draw. Not bad. Tommy C-bets 35 into 50, so he bets 70% of the pot. Fairly large, which I think is fine on this kind of board. And obviously with a flush draw, we have 6-8 of diamonds. It's jack 10-4 with two diamonds. Certainly we are not folding. Uh, We're going to continue. And I think you can call or raise here, but I kind of like calling because it's really not that strong of a hand, right? I afforded the flush, but I have some pretty shitty kind of backdoor straight draws to go with it. Nothing really that great. So I think that if I had bigger combo draws, something like queen nine of diamonds or nine, eight of diamonds or seven, eight of diamonds, something like that, I'd be way more prone to raise this flop. But as played, I think my hands just like not that strong. So I decide to call and the turn comes the three of diamonds. We make our flush. Hot damn. Things are going well. Taylor now checks as I expect him to do a lot of the time on this card. And against most players, there's about 120 in the pot. Against most players, I think you just bet your hand for value. However, against Taylor, it's really important to remain balanced. And what I mean by that is I can't just bet every time I make a flush because that means that anytime I check, I never have a flush. And in those spots, when I check back, he can just give us the hammer on the river, right? He can just attack us with overbets, knowing that our range is really weak. I think that against a player like this, who's very balanced and very structured, you have to do the same thing. So I think that you need to have some flushes to check back here. 
I'm not quite sure how a solver would partition this out. I'll tell you, since I had a second kid, I have not done as much solver work, so I haven't run this hand through a solver. Uh, my buddy Jay Warner, I'm sure you're listening. If uh, you got some free time, man, let me know what uh, what Pio thinks about this. But my initial thought here is that I'd probably want to bet if I had the nut flush, and then I'd probably want to bet my worst flushes and maybe use some of my medium strength flushes, maybe like this hand, to check back. Uh, in this spot, I do use it to check back. And I think most players, they won't just bet this kind of hand for value, but they'll also bet it because they're afraid of a fourth diamond coming on the river and ruining their hand. But that worry is really overstated, right? There's three diamonds on board. There's two in my hand. So there's only eight cards, uh, eight diamonds left. And there's 47 cards left that we don't know. So basically a diamond falls 17% of the time on the river. It's one out of six times. It's not that often. So I think people kind of like overstate the, you know, the chances of that happening and, and their hand getting fucked. I mean, it does happen, but like, you know, don't play in fear. Here we go. So I actually use this hand to try to balance my range and I check it back. The river comes in offsuit four pairing the four. So it's Jack 10, four with two diamonds, three of diamonds, making me the flush on the turn. And then the four pairs on the river. Now Taylor bombs the river for 250 into 120. He goes more than 2x the size of the pot on the river. I just love that he's doing this. Great play. I, I of course, snap call. Uh, there's no real reason to raise because I'm only getting called by better hands. And there's no, no chance I'm folding, obviously. So I call and he flips over two black queens. So he had an over pair and he made queens and fours on the river. And I show my flush and take the pot, and he is shocked. He didn't expect me to have a flush at all. He's like, whoa. You know, I was like, hey, man, I like that bet. You know, you went pretty thin. And he's like, it, it wasn't thin. And it, it really wasn't thin. Against 90% of the population, it's not thin at all because he's always good there. But against me, who was able to kind of balance my range here and keep some strength back in my checking range, you know, maybe it was a little bit, I don't know. I, I still think his play was fantastic. I like that he did it, but I was able to kind of foil him by playing a structured balance game and took the pot. And this, you know, it, it's also really good for the metagame, you know, that he knows we're going to play a lot of hands together in the future. We've played a lot of hands together in the past. And for him to know that I'm going to remain balanced, that every time I check, I don't just have shit, right? That I have some strong hands in my checking range and he can't just attack when he thinks I'm capped because I won't always be capped you know, my ranges will be protected. So I think that's really good for us long-term. And we ended up making close to as much money as if we had just bet the turn and bet the river ourselves. So I think this hand was really well played uh, on both ends. Uh, it was a really fun hand. I think it was a really high level hand and uh, yeah, feels good to own a good player. So that is hand one. Allow myself to congratulate myself. Obama putting a medal on himself dot meme in hand two we go from owning Taylor to getting owned. Stay tuned. All right, hand two. A little later in the same session, we've both been moved to the main game, so we're playing at a full table. We're both a little deeper than we were before. I think one about 1.5 K effective and a shitty reg 
limps in early position for five bucks. It gets around to me in middle position, and I raise to 25 with Ace Queen, Ace of Clubs, Queen of Diamonds. Tommy is back in the cutoff, so one off the button, and he flat calls the 25, and now the bad reg limp calls the 25. So we go three ways to the flop, and you know, this is usually the way I size. Um, often I open raise to 20. For every limper, I'll just add five on top of it. But I think in this instance, I certainly could have gone a little bit bigger. I, I really wasn't paying attention to the fact that that Tommy was in the cutoff. I knew that you know he was back there, but I really didn't let it change my sizing, and I probably should have. Uh, I know that he's going to want to play a lot of hands. I know that he's going to want to play hands in position, and so he's going to have a pretty wide range uh, where he is uh, back near the button. So. Uh, I think I could have gone 30 or 35 here and, and made it tougher on him to to get in there with weak hands. But I screwed that up. I didn't. I just raised to 25. We go three-handed. It's me, the limper, uh, and Tommy. There's about 75 in the pot. I have ace-queen offsuit, and the flop comes jack-5-3 rainbow. Not the best flop for our hand. The early position limper. He checks, and I decide to check. I don't necessarily think this is a great spot for a C-bet. You know, when you're playing uh, multi-way, you want to play it a lot different than you're going to play it heads up, right? At the end of the day, you have to get through two different ranges. And this is the kind of flop where you probably won't get through both players a lot. They'll have a lot of middle pairs. They'll have Jack X in their range. They'll have two Broadway cards with back doors. They'll have ace four and ace two that have an overcard and a gutter. So I just don't think a C-bet here works all that often. And we really don't have that much of a hand. All we have is two overs and a gutter backdoor straight draw. Really not that great. We'd like a little more hand to, to go to war with. And I think this hand fits well in a checking range. So I have ace queen offsuit. It's jack five, three rainbow. First guy checks. I check. Gets over to Tommy and he checks. So the flop checks through and the turn comes the five of diamonds, pairing the middle card, the five and putting a second diamond on board. So it's Jack five, three, five with two diamonds. The first guy checks again. I decide to check because nothing has gotten better for my hand, but then Tommy decides to bet 50 into 75. He bets two thirds pot. Surprisingly, the early position guy now check calls, which is really interesting after he's check twice, he does decide to call. You know, it, Tommy could be doing this with a right, wide range of hands. He could have picked up diamonds on the turn. He could just see that both of the other players, uh, me and the first guy, have checked twice. And he's just bluffing with with air, trying to take the pot after we've shown weakness. Um, in any event, the first guy probably doesn't have a whole lot of hand. He could have like an under pair, like pocket sixes, pocket seven, something like this. Uh, he could have diamonds himself. He could have a hand like Ace Baby and just not want to give it up. But after he checks twice and then just calls, he definitely doesn't have much of a hand. And he probably just thinks Tommy's trying to steal it. I don't have anything here. I have Ace Queen High, but I actually decide to call the 50 for a couple of reasons. It's a loose call, but I think that I'm actually good sometimes. I'm also thinking that if Tommy had a pair on the flop, right? It was Jack 5 3 when both players checked to him he would have bet a lot of his pairs. So I don't think he has 5X very often. I don't think he's got Jack X. Uh, I don't think he's got 3X very often. And when EP calls the bet, I don't think he's got a very 
strong hand. So I think that I probably have six clean outs with my three aces and three queens left. And then also I think there's some pretty good bluffing opportunities on the river. So I actually decide to continue and see what happens. We go three ways to the river and the river is a pretty big blank. It is the seven of spades. So it's Jack five, three, five with two diamonds and then the seven of spades on the river. So we're left with ace queen high and the first guy checks. And of course I check. And now Tommy bombs the river for 325 into 225. The first guy hems for just a minute and then folds his hand. He gets back to me. And really all that Tommy is repping with this kind of overbet. So when you overbet, generally you have a polarized hand. Polarized meaning you have a really great hand or pure shit, right? Pure air. And like I said, I don't think that he would be checking back a lot of 5X on the flop. So I highly doubt he's got trips. I think he, if he had like a set, like a set of threes or something like that, I think that he would be betting the flop because he could easily get the first guy pot stuck. Just because the first guy let off the flop with a check doesn't mean that he doesn't have anything. He's just checking the razor. So I just don't think he has a ton here. The other thing is that 6-4 ended up making a straight on the river, right? It's jack 5-3-5-7. So he could have 6-4 suited, but I think he bets that on the flop almost all the time as well. When both players checked him, he, he can start running a bluff there. So honestly, I, I just think he's really weighted toward air here. And we've shown so much weakness, both me and the first guy. We've shown so much weakness that he thinks he can just bomb us off with an overbet. So I decide I am going to hero the fuck out of this guy and win with ace high. And I decide to call the 325. Tommy flips over Jack Deuce of Hearts. He had a pair of jacks. He flopped a pair of jacks and he checked it back and then bet turn and overbet river. Let me kind of dissect what's going on here. First off, this is a really great play by him. Um, he correctly analyzed that a pair of jacks with no kicker was good and that I might call because when I overcall the turn, I think he thinks I have like a medium pair, like nines or eights, and he's just going to put that hand in the cage on the river and he can do it with a wide array of hands. Just like in the first hand, when I checked back the turn with a really good hand, he checked back the flop, not with an amazing hand, but with top pair with something I didn't expect him to check back with. And that's him protecting his own range. That's him balancing his own range. And like I said, he's a really studied player. I'd imagine that he's betting his best jacks on the flop and probably checking back his worst jacks, really splitting that kind of range and, and being logical and being structured about it. I didn't understand that he was doing that, just like he didn't understand that I was doing it in the first hand. And it, it ended up getting me for a pretty big pot. So hats off to him. Let's talk about my shitty ass play, because I, I think that deserves a, a, a lot of talk about. Uh, first off, like I said, I screwed up preflop when I raised just my standard amount instead of really being in the moment about who is behind me and, and the dynamics at play at the table. And I think if I was, I would have raised bigger so that he couldn't come in with a shitty ass hand like Jack Deuce suited. Uh, but I didn't. I just wasn't present enough and dialed in enough to do that. Then on the flop, I think checking is fine. It checks through. On the turn, Jack 5, 3, 5. When Tommy bets two-thirds pot and then the first guy calls, bro, 
just fold your hand. I, I don't have anything. I got, I tried to outplay these guys. You know what I mean? And that's okay. But this really wasn't the spot to do it, right? You don't want to start trying to outplay multiple people multi-way when they've already put money in the pot and they both said they're interested in it. Like, it's okay. Just get out of the hand. You don't have anything. So that was bad. And then the call on the river, while I think my logic was pretty good, the reality is, is that he is going to be really balanced in his bluffs. He's going to have not exactly the right proportion, but at least be close to proportional, the the right amount of bluffs and, and right amount of value to the point where he can, you know, really put me at this point of indifference. And this is just a hand that doesn't function that well as a bluff catcher, particularly because I hold the queen of diamonds. So one of the hands that I want him to have is a busted flush draw, a hand that picked up a flush draw on the turn and didn't get there on the river and decide to bluff it. Well, if I have the queen of diamonds, that takes out many combos that he can have. Uh, not all of them, certainly, but it helps weight him against that. So that's a really bad card for me to have. And all things considered, this was just a really shitty hand to hero call with. So well played hand by him, shitty played hand by me. Fireman of the Sun. I mean, I literally lost like 400 bucks with air. Like I didn't even have anything. It's just just so bad. Against good players like this, you can't just give them free chips. And I did in this hand. So I suck. I'm the donkey boy. Take away my player's card. Fireman of the Sun. Fun battles with Tommy. And I'm sure there will be more. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I enjoy playing against Tommy. It's always fun. I want to throw some hands in there and I hope you guys liked. So next week, we will be back with another episode. Thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate it. Until then, play good and run pure.